Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, for the next four weeks, uh, we'll be going through the first 11 verses of this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, Jesus is now beginning his public ministry. Uh, he's just been baptized by John in the Jordan River and led into the desert where he was tempted by the devil. We see that in Matthew chapter 4. But right after, he begins to preach. And the very first words recorded in Matthew's account of the Gospels, it says in verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know, I think it's, it's such a fitting way to start his ministry because now he's calling people's attention to what is to come. And um, he goes on to call his first disciples to follow him. And we read in chapter 4, reading from verse 23 to 25, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. You know, but... First on Jesus' agenda, as he starts his public ministry, is to announce the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And here we see the beginning of this amazing sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. You know, by far, these words of our Lord surpass any motivational speech, any TED Talk, or even a grandma sit-down time. These words are eternal, life-giving, and transformative, but they are also mind-boggling, thought-provoking, and culturally out of place. As we listen to the words of Jesus this morning, let us empty ourselves of self so that we can be filled with the Spirit and discern what He has in store for us. You know, one question I'll ask us before we get into the passage is, what do you think it means to be blessed? You know, the idea of being blessed is a widespread one. Wouldn't you agree with me? You know, most associate being blessed only with riches, good health, long life, amazing achievements, skills, and different talents to name a few. This, we can easily agree, are blessings from God. But once we begin reading the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see a very different view from our Lord of who are blessed. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading this morning from verses 1 through 4. But before we read, please pray with me at this time. 
Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us yet another opportunity to get into your word, to ponder what it has to say, and to consider what your spirit is doing in us and among us. We pray that we would allow our hearts to be moldable and we'll continue to be great students of your word. Uh, Fill us with silence, solitude, patience. Help us to consider the stillness that we need to have before you so we can hear your voice. I pray this morning as we go through these few verses, God, and as we try to understand what did Jesus try to say, what, what was our Lord trying to convey in these words, Father, I pray that we would get it, that, Father, we'd be able to be transformed by these life-giving words that Jesus uttered on the mount. We thank you again for this opportunity. Bless our time. May your Spirit lead me as I speak. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'll just read verse 1 to start with, right? It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, it's an interesting scenario here, right? The Bible says that it's recorded that Jesus, they were going up on this mountain and he stops, right? And some say that there was a kind of plain, pretty much. So there was this flat area on this mountain where he was able to sit and the people who were there gathered around him, right? So, but it's interesting because it, Matthew also recognizes the fact that Jesus sat down. And in, even in this context, you know, some say that, you know, this was almost kind of like a, a sermon type scenario, which is less, um, how to put it, loud or aggressive in its tone and more of a teaching time, which is what Jesus did when he decided to sit down and allow the crowds to come and hear what he had to say. Um, Of course, the other contrast would be someone preaching, right? Uh, And Jesus did some preaching. He would go through the towns and villages preaching and proclaiming the good news. So this is a little context. So I guess by me sitting down, it's a good posture to be able to convey this message to you this morning. I just didn't get to make it up the mountain. <laughs> so anyhow, let's continue. It says in verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Wow. You know, from the onset, Jesus addresses the topic of who is blessed. You know, he's not mock or making a, a judgment on persons who do not fit the bill. Instead, he is simply sharing or simply shares with the masses gathered to hear him who the kingdom of heaven is preserved for. It is important to note that poverty was big back then as it is today. And so the idea of being poor was no mystery to those listening. However, Jesus is not talking about a physical poverty, but a spiritual poverty. 
But we cannot deny the effect of being in need on our posture before God. You know, humility before God becomes easier when we find ourselves needing a savior. Not so. You know, there's no room for pride, no room for arrogance. We think about the most inspiring athletes who have made it or, or made it professionally that come from the, that poverty line and you see their humility, right? As they, whether it be their, in their achievements and the money that they make. You know, I, I, I always remember this one English football player uh, from an African uh, continent. And uh, he, he basically was saying that he, he would not change his phone, right? His phone, they asked him, well, warm to your phone. How come your phone is, is broken? Why don't you just buy a new phone? And he was like, no, well, I came from poverty. I know what it's like to be poor and I want to give back to my people, right? So having a broken phone, that is nothing. I will, I will get fixed someday. You know, this is a guy with a lot of money, but he's been taught some value with regards to how to treat with money. So there's, there's, there's an amazing lesson to see here because had he not gone through such a life, his view on money might have been very different, right? So the problem, however, comes when we believe that by our good Christian deeds, we are owed a blessing. In other words, we have earned it. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know, unlike physical poverty, which brings pain and suffering, but also a humble spirit, when you think about a rich man and Lazarus, you know, it doesn't get better than that in terms of a story of two contrasting worlds of two different men, one having plenty and the other one having very little. You know, however, spiritual poverty does the reverse. It brings life, prosperity, peace, joy, and hope along with the promised kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is speaking of now. You know, however, Jesus, full of grace and truth, according to God's will, needed to come and teach us the new way of life, kingdom living. He addresses the true followers and those who were on the other side or the outside looking in. And he says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. My point number one this morning is poverty is underrated. You know, when it comes to the spiritual realm, things are in reverse, aren't they? In Matthew chapter 16, look at what it says in verse 24 to 25. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Wow, isn't that a reverse? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the world says to walk in darkness, right? But the word of God says to walk in the light and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. First John verse chap chapter 1 and Ephesians 5 verse 11. The world teaches us to cheat in order to get ahead. The scriptures teach us 
to trust God and live honest lives. The world teaches us to worry, but the word of God teaches us to put our faith in Jesus. There is always a contrast here when it comes to the world and the word. You know, at every turn in the scriptures, we see the words of God directing us in the opposite direction from the world. So, Jesus is speaking to the crowds gathered to hear his words of life as they have seen his miraculous power at work before their eyes. They are keen to hear what he has to say and seemingly ready to follow his directions. But for them, and even us today, the idea of being poor can be a bit much. <laughs> right? Poverty for some of us is a curse in our eyes. We want no part of it. We even demonize it by saying it is of the devil. The problem, however, is when we take on the view of physical poverty and apply it to spiritual poverty. So, it takes on the negative feeling associated with being hungry and not knowing where your next meal is or, or comes from or how you can even take care of yourself. You know, once this happens, we will naturally go into survival mode and not trust mode. So, instead of depending on God, we choose to work out or work for our salvation. We start looking at all the things we are doing to justify our expectations to be blessed. So, so now in chapter 6, you know, Jesus addresses the issue of priority in the context of us choosing to worry about our basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter versus seeking the kingdom first. And he assures us that he will provide for our basic needs. So in Matthew chapter 6, look at what he says in verse 28 to 33. He says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, the problem, however, is when we go past our needs and into our wants. <laughs> That's when the heart starts to get a little weird, right? Here's where our heart gets tested. It becomes more about what others think than what does God think. This is where our theology gets tested even as we begin to believe that having plenty is a sign of God's approval. So while God, is, God did bless 
men like Solomon, Abraham, Job, and even King David, his love was no different for the Apostle Paul, who knew what it meant to be or to have little and to have plenty. Lazarus, the beggar, who was at the rich man's gate. The 12 disciples who were humble fishermen, who even went back to fishing at one point. Right? You know, what's my point this morning? It is simple. You know, our view of poverty on the physical spectrum should not affect our view of spiritual poverty as Jesus is clearly making a case for the condition of those who identify with spiritual poverty as being a blessed people. Think of Simon and the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. Simon didn't get it, but the woman did. And because of her understanding, her spiritual indebtedness before Jesus, her posture was so different from Simon. Go check it out. Point number two. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now, this is, uh, I'm going a little left field here, so, so stick, stay with me a little bit here. And I'm using Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, to bring in a point that I want to make from what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. Uh, this saying actually comes from the passage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. And um, it comes at the very end of a fairly long discourse between uh, Jesus and who we know to be a man called the rich young ruler. And as you may know, uh, this man was confronted by Jesus. And he asked Jesus how to inherit the kingdom. And Jesus told him to sell everything he had and go give his possessions to the poor. And the Bible says that he went away with his face downcast. So it's, it's, it's clear to see that this young man was battling with the idea of having wealth or in the context of being first here on earth and Jesus is calling him almost in his mind, it seems, to be last. And I wanted to, to share this commentary with us. It's Ellicott's commentary on Matthew 19, verse 30. And it reads, In point of time, it may be noticed, this is the first utterance of the great law that God's judgment reverses man's when it was uttered in reference to the young ruler. It was but a fresh application of the wider law. Here, the application is primarily national. Israel had been the first of nations, but it should become, in its outward fortunes, sorry, the last of the heathen who had been, without hope and without God in the world. Ephesians 2 verse 12. You know, should gain the high preeminence of being the heirs of the kingdom. The individual application of the words grows naturally, however, out of the national. So there's a principle here in Matthew 19 verse 30 that runs through the theme being poor in spirit. Right? The poor 
are the marginalized and the forgotten. They are the outcasts of society and faces with no names. But Jesus came to their aid first. The blind and the infirm, the leper and the paralyzed, to name a few. Now poverty brings with it so many other disadvantages. But the one thing we can all agree with is that they are last in society. Last to be recognized. Not so in the kingdom of heaven though. The poor and needy, needy sorry, are prioritized. We can be rest assured that God is the champion for the poor and the needy. So while they find themselves at the bottom of the food chain here on earth, God has them entering the pearly gates and before many. You know, getting back to our text, Jesus is speaking of a spiritual poverty that we can all identify with. Just think back to the day you were baptized. But maybe you tend to lean less on such a position, right? That is the position of being needy before God or being poor in spirit. You know, I will never forget my state of spiritual poverty before God as a 17-year-old. Walking into the Luke Cinema for church that Sunday morning in 1998. And I was so in need and desperate for God in my life. <laughs> I studied the Bible for the next three days after coming to church and was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I was needy. I needed God. I was desperate. I was like, I need help. My life was just spiraling down quickly. And praise God, he snatched me from the fire. You know, truth be told, choosing to be poor in spirit is actually choosing to be last here on earth. So we can be first in the kingdom of heaven. You know, I'm not speaking about what number you have, like if you're in the bank these days, right? It is simply the reversal of things that will happen. We are saying to the world around us, yes, I am needy. I need God. I am poor in spirit. Can we all relate to having pain? <laughs> well, I could relate. You know, I remember this excruciating pain at the bottom of my feet about maybe four, maybe three to four months ago. I had gone to Port of Spain and I was walking around profusely looking for a place to, to get something and it took me a long time. At the end of my frantic up and down, underneath my right foot was just flaming up. It was burning and I just, by that time I couldn't walk. So by the time I got home, I mean I barely could have driven the car going home but I made it, it was just excruciating pain. And I tried all kinds of stuff. You know, my wife taught me that, you know, it's, it's okay to, to research what pain you're having and figure out, you know, what, what you could possibly find on the internet. And I did find some good stuff. And, you know, I learned about something called plantar fasciitis, you know, uh, which I thought that's what I had. But after all the pain and the remedies that I tried, nothing worked. 
So guess what? <laughs> to go to the doctor, <laughs> I was like, this pain is too much. So I did that. I went to the doctor and tell, I told him what was going on. And he obviously realized, okay, I need to see someone more specialized in this. So he sent me to a specialist, right? Can't remember the big name he called, they called them, but anyhow, somebody who looks at your foot. So as I went to this specialist, the guy was, he was a, he's a really good doc. He, he knew what he was talking about. And it turns out that my biggest issue is that I had a flat foot. Well, I have a flat foot. And because of my feet being flat, I was, there was a lot of pressure being applied to a certain uh, vein or a certain um, part of underneath my tendon, actually, which is underneath the facetia, which is underneath the foot. And long story short, he, I had to get some advice from him, get some painkillers. But primarily, he said to me that I have to figure out to get some good proper footwear for my feet. So it turned out that I just need a lot of help. Now, I don't know what you're like when it comes to pain. Maybe you decide to, for yourself, man, <laughs> I don't need to go by no doctor. I will figure this thing out. Give me a little bush medicine. Uh, you know, I will go and try a, 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 some kind of remedy to figure it out. I'll just ride the pain out. Right? But the reality is that I'm sure most of us, of us can relate to th taking too long and thinking, man, I don't need nobody to help me with this pain. I'll figure it out until it gets worse. And then afterwards we realize, I can't bear with this pain anymore now, boy. <laughs> I need to go and see the doctor. You know, I think that's the same thing for us in our spiritual walk sometimes. We, we see the pain and suffering that we have in our lives due to sin, a lack of seeking input. We, we, we see something snowballing in our hearts, whether it be impurity, whether it be a, a lack of discipline. But sometimes we only wait until the pain comes, until it gets unbearable, like a toothache, to then call the dentist and make an appointment. You know, isn't that what happened when we studied the Bible and saw our sinful indebtedness before Jesus? We were poor in spirit. And that poverty led our godly sorrow or led us to godly sorrow before God. And we were granted repentance because God saw our hearts. You know, if you're a young Christian, I want to remind you to keep that poverty of spirit you have right now. It will do you well. All the disciples, we got to check our spiritual poverty level. Not your knowledge, but your acceptance of neediness before God. You know, I'm sure you've seen or know of persons who refuse, like I said before, to go see a doctor or a dentist. Some need to feel the pain before they can make a phone call. No pain, no call, no doc. Right? Is that how we, we drop it? Well, in some cases, there are some things that, that are silent. Not everything has pain, huh? and sin is one of those things. 
and we got to be very, very careful. You know, we, we were told that, you know, high blood pressure is one of those things that is a silent killer. That if you don't even know it, that's why you have to keep checking your pressure if you struggle with that. I think that's the same with sin. It's a silent, it's a creeper. It comes up and you don't even know it sometimes until it's too late. We got to keep being poor in spirit, brothers and sisters. You know, this is exactly what Jesus is speaking about. A state of being in need as we realize our impoverished state before him. It becomes a blessing to us in the end because while we might be viewed by others as being last, in the eyes of God, we are now first. So, What's your poverty level like right now? What's your spiritual poverty level? Are you still in need of God? Or are you like the church in Laodicea? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22, it says, "What well, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, stand, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with the fa my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church in Laodicea had a misconception of what it meant to be rich. Possessions for them was it. Jesus says to them, but you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. All because they placed more value on being first now, keeping up with the Joneses, running on the treadmill of life in the flesh, putting self first, trusting in their own wisdom. And somehow the Laodicean church had gotten to a place where the physical wealth and the possession of not needing anything, this position of not needing anything was of great value to them. You know, we, we say it sometimes, huh? I, I got this. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody to help me. I could figure this thing out. And sometimes what we don't realize is that we're actually saying we don't need God because God is the one who puts people in our lives. 
He's the one that allows us to be in this family so we can get assistance, we can get advice. We can get input, we can be directed through the scriptures by others. I hope that's not your position this morning. And if it is, let's repent, guys. Because that's what Jesus called the church in Laodicea to do. Are you still poor in spirit? I hope you are. Let us learn to be poor in spirit so that we can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Point number three, happy are the unhappy. In verse four, it reads, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, this is the second beatitude, and you might be tempted to start thinking that Jesus is really boring and almost kind of like real nitpicking even. Like, dude, what's going on? From being poor in spirit to now mourning, you know, is there any good news in this? Well, we need to keep on the pulse of what Jesus is getting at, which is the heart. You know, Jesus goes where we try to tell ourselves doesn't exist. The deep places of our heart, the true inner self, our deepest thoughts and desires are his target. He is not messing around, guys. He means business. You know, in his commentary, The Beatitudes Developing Spiritual Character, John Stott says, It is plain from the context that those whom Jesus promised to comfort are not primarily those who mourn the loss of a loved one, but those who mourn the loss of their innocence, their righteousness, and their self-respect. It is not the sorrow of bereavement Christ refers to, but the sorrow of repentance. Once again, we see the misconception that might be in our hearts and minds. If we try to make these words of Jesus physical instead of spiritual, The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 spoke about being in the house of mourning, which is a good place, according to him, to be as we are reminded of the brief time we have here on this earth. You know, there is a form of stillness that we experience as we are compelled to sit and reflect on our own life and the reality that we will one day be gone also. You know, I have grown in my appreciation for silence and solitude. You know, the time to reflect is no longer a burden, but a blessing. You know, Jesus in his sermon is addressing his disciples, but also the crowds following him are able to hear what the master has to say. So while these words are for the 12, they are also said for all to hear. And pay attention. You know, Paul, the apostle, expands on this truth in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 21 to 25. And it reads, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Can you hear the mourning? His yearning for righteousness to prevail in his heart? You know, he calls it a war on the inside. You know, this is where the true battle begins, right, between good and evil. What happens on the outside is as a result of what or who prevails on the inside. Now, this is the morning that Jesus is speaking about. There's a longing we have to see our members conform to the pattern of Christ and not the world. You ever did something and, and, and thought to yourself, boy, oh, if I could only get this right next time. If I could only not respond the way I responded. If I could only be patient in this situation. That's the war that Paul is talking about, the inner battle. You know, we mourn when we are dealing with the, in, the internal conflict that exists when we desire to do good. In our flesh, there's a getting rid of that takes place. Old is gone and the new has come. But we cannot deny the price we pay for renouncing sin in our lives. The lifestyle choices we would have made over the years has created in us a desire and a longing to feel what we once felt. But once those feelings come, which is temptation, we are called to resist, renounce, and restore the mind of Christ. We become happy in our unhappiness. You know, this process is not an easy one. But for God, it is more than possible. Because through Him, all things are possible. In a stoat says, those who bewail or lament their own sinfulness will be comforted by the only comfort that can re relieve their dis distress namely the free forgiveness of God. You know, in my own words, I think Stoat is saying that when we mourn our sin by looking at it through the lens of Christ, comfort will come our way through the grace of forgiveness. When we view sin with a heart of Christ and through the lens of the Holy Spirit, we grieve what we see. We see others in sin and are compassionate toward them not judgmental. So we have not, no other choice but to mourn because we are also seeing a reflection of ourselves in others around us. We see our own lack of self-control, so we mourn. We see our impatience, our deceit, envy, jealousy, gossiping, fits of rage, impurity, lack of love, and we mourn. Or do we? Are you mourning today over your sin? Or have you become so used to it that it is no longer a big deal anymore? 
Brothers and sisters, if your heart has become hard towards sin in your life, then I caution us and encourage us to go back and check the heart doctor. I needed a foot doctor, <laughs> but I was for physical pain. This issue here is a spiritual one. We need to go to Jesus. You know, chances are you are running after the happiness of the world and not the happiness of God, which is actually joy. It's a lot more lasting than happiness. Happiness is fleeting, that word, but joy is everlasting. You know, let the joy and comfort of the Holy Spirit fuel us so as to mourn the sin in our lives as we go to God daily for His help to overcome. So, poverty is underrated. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Happy are the unhappy. So, be blessed, every one of you. And remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God bless you. See you next week.